0: Contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today, on the lab report, we talked to Dr. Casey Means.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk plant-based diet and continuous glucose monitoring.
0: Yeah, this is going to be pretty sweet. Get it? No. Glucose, sweet. Uh,
1: <laughs> the world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Don't even talk about the plant.
0: Listen, last time we talked about the plant, it needed water.
1: I took care of You know it. what
0: plants also need? What? Sunlight. Whatever. Hello. Hi,
1: Michael Chapman.
0: Hi, Patty Devers. How are you doing today? I'm
1: doing great. Good I to hope hear you it. You are too.
0: Yeah. Welcome to the Lab Report. Welcome, everyone, to this podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Guess what? What? We talk about functional medicine, uh-huh. specialty lab testing, right. and integrative therapeutics. And today, We are going to interview Dr. Casey Means.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about this. But in the meantime, if you're new to the show. I see what you did there. (laughs) If you're new to this show, you could go to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe to this podcast and rate and review and give us some stars.
0: That would be really, really helpful to the people that are watching whether we're getting stars and how many of those stars that we're getting. (laughs) Not to say that there are people that are really paying attention that close attention but it does help Mm -hmm. it helps with all the algorithms and you know all the spreading of this knowledge in this podcast out there so that's That's uh that's that'd be helpful if you have feedback you can email the feedback to podcast at gdx.net that's Mm -hmm. the email address here where uh your feedback gets dumped into
1: yeah we love those emails so keep them coming and today we have a very special guest dr casey means
0: yeah, I'm super excited for this interview. Doctor Means has so much experience and knowledge. Uh, this is this is going to be fun.
1: Yeah, she's done so many things. That it it almost makes you question your life when you see when someone has accomplished so many things.
0: Yeah, it <laughs> does make me wonder what I've been doing with my time. Not, <laughs> not to say that I've been doing nothing, but I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. wow. I is, know is really
0: what we're trying to say. Yeah, she's a wow.
1: surgeon, and then she was a biomedical researcher and functional medicine trained, and, and she
0: started a company. Yeah. She's the chief medical officer of a company called Levels, mm-hmm. which is a continuous glucose monitoring supply yeah. company. So Yeah, so
1: if you go to Instagram, you see all the big names in the biz wearing these wearable devices. So cool. With a tag, unlock Levels. So cool. In addition to that, she's also... Pretty much an expert on plant-based diets. So there's so much to cover with her.
0: Yeah, so much to cover, in fact, that we're going to do two parts. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and do that. So today we're talking part one of the interview, where we're going to mostly talk about plant-based approaches to uh, overall health, and then we'll uh, save some of the other questions for part two.
1: Well, let's call her up. So Michael, yes. guess who's with us today?
0: Oh, I know, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really <laughs> Dr.
1: Excited. Casey Means. And Dr. Casey Means, for those of you who are not familiar, is a functional medicine practitioner and a metabolic health evangelist. She has both an undergraduate biology degree and a medical degree from Stanford University. Dr. Means also trained as a a head and neck surgeon at Oregon Health and Science University. She's an award-winning biomedical researcher with past research positions at NIH, Stanford, and NYU, and additionally is an associate editor of the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention. She has been trained by the Institute for Functional Medicine, and through her website, Casey Means, MD.com. Her current clinical focus is on functional medicine with an emphasis on whole foods, plant based nutrition, mind body connection, and physical activity as foundations of overall health. Dr. Means is co founder and chief medical officer of the metabolic health company Levels, which focuses on digital health products to inspire healthy behavior change, reverse chronic disease, and modernize healthcare by empowering patients with access to their personal health data. She's also been featured in many national publications, podcasts, and television programs. And with that, welcome to The Lab yeah, Report, Dr. Yeah, thank you Dr. so Mons. much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Us cool. too, us
0: too. Well, let me let me start here. So you're a conventionally trained head and neck surgeon who made a very big leap into functional yes. medicine. Like what, what inspired you to walk away from surgery and, and change your focus so, so dramatically?
2: You know, it's, it's a great question. So, so yeah, so I, I trained fully in the conventional system. So like you mentioned, um, Stanford for medical school, and then went into head and neck surgery. And, you know, I was, I was practicing as an ear, nose and throat surgeon for about five years. And what, what really sort of started coming about for me about five years into practice was that so many of the conditions I was treating were fundamentally inflammatory in nature. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of the itises, you know, it was sinusitis, um, Uh thyroiditis, you know, it was all that, you know, itis is typically the suffix we give to words that imply there's inflammation involved. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sinusitis, the the way we manage it in, in ENT is you know nasal rinses but then it's antibiotics and steroids steroids to tamp down the immune response and then if that fails you've got surgery you bust open the sinuses you drain the pus out um and then you know that's kind of the the treatment and um with you know other inflammatory issues of the head and neck like vocal cord granulomas which are inflammatory masses of the vocal cords you know you 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 pluck them out surgically with uh, Chronic ear disease where you get ear infections a bunch, which is due to inflammation of the tissue um, in between the nose and the ear, the eustachian tube. When that gets swollen, you know, you'll uh if you're getting chronic ear infections, you'll you'll bust a hole in the eardrum and you'll put an ear tube in and you can kind of get the pus to drain. And so it's a lot of these sort of surgical and anti-inflammatory um, medication uh treatments for these inflammatory disorders. And I and I sort of was scratching my head saying, you know a lot of these patients are chronically inflamed and, Mm -hmm. and I don't, I think there's probably a better way to approach this than, than surgery because inflammation is fundamentally the body saying there's some external threat. We need to mount an immune response to get on top of this. And that immune response surgery doesn't touch that. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, It's sort of like fighting a war with the wrong with the wrong weapons. And and certainly, you know, busting open a sinus and getting the, the pus to drain better, that can be helpful for symptoms, but it's not actually doing much for the core root physiology. So I got thinking quite a bit about core root ph- physiology of inflammation. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of led me to a journey of saying, why why are so many people, you know, expressing signs of this constant immune overactivation? And what's interesting is And I know you guys know this, but, you know, so many of our chronic diseases we're seeing now outside of ENT, certainly, um, these chronic diseases like, you know, heart disease, um, you know, stroke, diabetes, um, Alzheimer's, dementia, um, even depression and anxiety, these all we're seeing have ties to chronic inflammation. Mm-hmm. And where that chronic inflammation is showing up, we're often seeing symptoms. And mm-hmm. so there is something, you know, going on under all of this. And I think it ultimately, a lot of it leads back to diet and lifestyle and the way the exposures that we are, that our bodies are, are, are having to encounter every day, these exposures of modern life that are, can be seen as these sort of foreign threats to the body. Um, the, the processed foods and highly ultrafine foods we're eating, the toxic chemicals we're exposed to in our our food and water and our air. You know, our our sort of chronic low grade stressors of living in this modern digital yeah. fast moving world. Yep. Chronic mm-hmm. sleep deprivation. We're getting less sleep than we used to, um, and and sedentary behavior, not moving a lot. All of these things can be registered as the body by the body as as. Um, sort of as threat and, and and mount an immune response. So I got super interested in, you know, how can we keep people out of the operating room? How can right. we yeah. think right. deeper about this and, and help on the front end and, and try and <laughs> really avoid having to get to this, you know, end of the road intervention that is highly morbid, highly expensive, highly painful, and ultimately not really addressing the root cause physiology. So that was a journey that actually led me fully out of the operating room, I actually decided to put down my scalpel and really pursue more um, functional medicine. And and that's a, you know, a branch of of medicine where um, we really address the underlying root causes of diseases. And also think about what are the interconnections between diseases? You know, Mm -hmm. we we like to think of diseases in our culture as these like sort of isolated silos. Everyone's a different, a totally different beast. And so we'll look at someone with diabetes, obesity, depression, prostate hypertrophy, and cancer and say, oh, all of these things are totally different beasts. But in reality, from a more systems biology perspective or a functional medicine perspective, we actually know that there's actually some really common root cause physiology amongst all of those seemingly disparate diseases. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that um, boils down to chronic inflammation same cytokines upregulated in many of those diseases like tnf alpha il6 you know it's the same players and then the second one that's really big is insulin resistance and metabolic dysfunction so so really shifted gears to a a full-on obsession with those two things um metabolic uh health and, and inflammation how they're related how they underlie a lot of chronic diseases and um moved into to the functional medicine um full steam ahead and Um, and so that was sort of the, the transition. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's tricky because once you get here, you can't, you you can't unsee what you're seeing. Like you can't go back.
0: I was just thinking like, (laughs) like how inconvenient at times (laughs)
2: this,
0: (laughs) this dawning of root cause medicine can be. It's like, Oh, okay. I have to change everything. (laughs) right,
2: right. Right. (laughs) Right. And even absolutely, if, yeah. it's like once you start reading the books, you know, <laughs> I think of these books that we've all read as like the. They, they once you open those those first twenty pages, you're like, oh, damn, right. oh, That's I right. can't. And I'm thinking of people <laughs> like you know Mark Hyman and uh-huh. Sarah Gottfried yeah. and Terry you know Terry Walls and um, Jeff Bland and yep. you know all these pioneers of right. functional medicine <laughs> and and you know, Ben Bickman's most recent book, Why We Get Sick. um, You kind of read this and you say, oh, no, we, you know, we got to be doing things a little bit of a different way. And it is impossible to go back. And so I think a lot of doctors are on that journey right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we're lucky that we're here. But as part of our show on our podcast, we do a lot of talking about diets. We've talked about vegan and paleo and keto and carnivore. And we know that you have chosen to focus on the plant-based approach what what caused you to go there
2: yeah great question so um <laughs> My history with plant-based diets is kind of a funny one. I actually grew up loving meat more than anything. Like I was (laughs) such a meat eater. Every birthday was at a steakhouse. All I wanted to, you know, people have photos of me at holidays, like gnawing at the bones of like, you know, ribeyes that I was eating. And it just really was a joke in my family, how much I loved meat. So I actually challenged myself to do a plant-based diet in medical school (laughs) Uh just to see if i could do it i was like oh i I doubt i can do it it's too hard for me and i i went full steam ahead like i tried to do with everything and it, it was just absolutely transformational for me it was it was transformational from so so many aspects you know my skin cleared up my digestion got better My mood just felt more elevated and stable. Um, I felt sharper. And it also opened up a whole world of new cooking that I really enjoyed and like learning how to use foods differently and how versatile plants are for cooking. So Mm -hmm. that was pretty fun. And I did that throughout medical school. And then I went to residency and, you know, I, my life, there's much less control over my day-to-day life in residency as a surgical resident, you're in the hospital all the Mm -hmm. time. And I was really just eating cafeteria food all the time and went back to meat and just, you know, tons of refined foods, whatever I could sort of shove in my mouth as I was running down the stairs to get the operating Survival room. Foods. And, <laughs> right. yeah. and um, my health really took a nosedive. Um, all those sort of low-grade symptoms that I'd had kind of came back. And it really was a, a powerful message to me of how, of how much foods create conditions in our body that really are a major lever in the expression of health or were symptoms and so um, so ultimately went back to a plant-based diet and the same thing happened it was just like a total up leveling of my life and so that was kind of my personal experience but from a more intellectual perspective there were a number of factors one is that my background is in personalized genomics and nutrigenomics, and that's really what I studied in undergrad. I was lucky to be at Stanford during right after the Human Genome Project had wrapped up, and 23andMe was coming online. I worked at 23andMe as an undergrad, yeah. and I was really obsessed with um, the interaction between the environment and the genome and differential expression of the genome through different environmental inputs, and the environmental input that I was most interested in was food. Hmm. Food is molecular information that goes into our body multiple times a day and acts as both the building blocks of our body but also as the instruction manual for how our genes are to be expressed and that is just incredible to me that every bite we take is just straight up molecular information that can be a total differentiating factor between the expression of health or the expression of dysfunction and so it really this whole and that and that That field of study is nutrigenomics how how food compounds change gene expression Mm -hmm. um that was so empowering to me as a as a young student just thinking that you know we think of genes as this blueprint that's very like fatal you know um deterministic but really it's just a blueprint it's not actually the end result and the end result has an impact from food, from how we stress, how we sleep, how we move, and so many other factors. And so we have a lot of power in, in the way that we make those choices. And food is just such, such a big one. Mm-hmm. And as I was studying it, I realized that plant compounds are some of the most interesting nutrigenomic compounds. The The plant compounds are the ones that just time and time again were the ones I was seeing that had these profound impacts. So two quick examples. like curcumin from turmeric is uh, the the active compound in the turmeric root, um, which has been used for millennia as, as a medicinal compound, especially in India. But we now know exactly how it works on molecular level. It's, it's, it um, is it's an inhibitor of the NF-kappa B pathway, which is one of our master inflammatory genes. And so by eating curcumin, you're actually changing the expression of NF-kappa B and down-regulating um, inflammation. Um, and then there's cruciferous vegetables. And that whole family has sulforaphane in it. And sulforaphane is an NRF2 genetic activator. NRF2 is an antioxidant genetic pathway, really helps with cell uh, resilience, DNA repair and resilience. And so you, you start to think about food as this incredible knob you can turn to you know, really change mm-hmm. molecular outcomes and veganism. I, I would say more plant-based, not, not so much vegan. I I'm really focus on whole foods and mm-hmm. plants, uh, more than just the avoidance of meat. So just kind of became excited by how, how plant foods can be such an amazing tool. Um, but, but that's kind of the broad overview and, and, and certainly happy to dig in, you know, even, even more to that, but.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's super interesting and I love the nutrigenomics aspect. It reminds me a lot of like a lot of the things you hear coming out of Deanna Minnick's work right, and, and right things like right, that. It's, um, and I wonder, are, are you currently doing any meat as part of your regular diet these days? Do you, do you find that as part of a, a whole foods approach that it's a good thing to incorporate meat or, or are we still figuring that part of it out? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Right now, I'm personally not eating meat, but I have definitely um, nuanced thoughts about meat and and don't think of it as like this evil thing. I'm certainly not dogmatic about plants are the only thing that humans are supposed to eat. And yeah. this really comes back again to food is molecular information. And meat as a category, you just have to think of meat in that framework as well. So yeah. mm-hmm. you take a free-range, you know, grass-fed, happy cow out there, compare it with a cow that's raised in our normal industrial agriculture complex. Um, And the two different animals, the meat that comes from them is gonna be completely different molecular information. Mm -hmm. One is gonna have a higher omega-3 concentration, that you know, it's going to have less of the omega six to omega three ratio. One is going to have less, you know, antibiotics and toxic pesticides. One is going to have a different, you know, muscle and fat composition. Sure. Um, you know, the free range grass fed meat is just going to be a totally different set of molecular inputs to your body when you eat it than the one that was fed genetically modified, Roundup sprayed corn and soy its whole life Certainly. and was in terrible high stress conditions and probably was metabolically unhealthy and filled with antibiotics. So it's Mm -hmm. just, it's, it's so, so really I think of food as a, as a tool for what I'm trying to leverage in terms of getting a patient back towards optimal cellular functioning. Mm -hmm. And so some of the, some of the things that I, um, you know, think that, that, meat can, can be a value add with is, you know, certain micronutrients that are difficult to get from plants like B12, Mm -hmm. um, and chromium, um, and, and, and a few others, but, but, and certainly the omegas, you know, people talk about how with animal products, you, it's easier to access, uh, the downstream omega-3 fatty acids. So things like EPA and DHA, which are very important for both building cell membranes, but also for anti-inflammatory strategies. But I like to push back a little bit and say, you know, it is true that you can't get EPA and DHA, the downstream omega-3s, from uh, plant products other than things like algae, which do have these. But you can start upstream with the plant-based omega-3s, so alpha linoleic acid. Mm -hmm. and. A lot of people will say, "Oh, well, it's difficult to convert to EPA and DHA, so why not just go to the more efficient, you know, source, which is the animal products?" But this is actually where a Genova test, the Nutrival, I absolutely adore, yeah. because <laughs> there's that page in NutraVal that basically shows you the pathway from um, alpha-linoleic acid to ETA to EPA to DHA and to the base. It's just a, it's just an enzymatic pathway from these upstream omega threes to these downstream omega threes. And what I think people, what really gets lost in the nuanced conversation about um, nutrition is that sure, it's really difficult to change ALA into EPA if you're not thinking about it in a nuanced way. But if you stare at the (laughs) NutraVal results and look at, okay, well, to do that, you need to have active delta-6 desaturase, you need to have your elongase enzyme active, delta-5 desaturase active, and elongase again activated later in the pathway. And to do that, you need vitamin b2 you need vitamin b3 you need b5 you need uh, vitamin c insulin zinc magnesium biotin
0: all of of these things are
2: required to do that and so as a plant-based person if i'm i know my patients need to have great epa and dha levels so if they are plant-based i'm going to be thinking deeply about that pathway um And then for some other patients, you know, I might be prescribing some fish oil or some fish for their diet or some really high quality beef that's really omega three rich for them. But it's really just getting down to that, that super um, detailed perspective and thinking about the biochemistry and, and making sure you're, you're optimizing it every single step.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, so often it's, it's easy to think of it, you know, one way or another and get dogmatic about what we're recommending to the whole masses, but the the tenant one of the main tenants of functional medicine is personalized right and so everyone's going to have a different set of genetic information and and this probably reacting to different nutrigenomic information from their diet so it only makes sense to to really focus in on the patient and what their particular needs are and that's where the testing comes in
1: yeah and actually some patients are pre- they feel pretty strongly about whatever diet they've chosen so it really is just and helpful that's important too. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's helpful just to let them do it the right way but do you find yourself in your practice, Dr. Means discouraging other diets like keto or carnivore? Are you kind of like what Michael's saying, just personalize that approach every time?
2: I would say, I mean, certainly in my practice, I'm not going to be pushing the carnivore diet for, for, for probably anyone. I think the carnivore diet is really interesting. And I, there's a lot that I support about the carnivore movement in that in two main things, one is that they are extremely focused on metabolic health, and we are in extreme mm-hmm. alignment that um, refined and processed carbohydrates are causing huge dysfunction and toxicity in the bodies of Americans, and so we need to essentially eliminate those. Um, the second, so big focus on metabolic health is one, and the second thing that I really appreciate about that movement is the focus on sustainable agriculture. Sure. So mm. these are not individuals who are saying like go out and buy really. Crappy, low-quality, conventionally-raised meat, and you'll do fine. These are people saying we need to do Mm nose-to-tail, respect the animals, um, think about you know all the different aspects of health that the animals can bring to us. Like liver, you know, might actually have we think of animals not able to produce their own vitamin C, but in fact, some animal livers may actually have stored vitamin C in there. And so they think about ways to get these micronutrients from the animal, but that may involve eating the, the, you know, the full nose to tail animal. So there's a, there's a lot of thoughtfulness about nutrition in that, but I think it's, from my perspective is that it's going to be valuable for a very, very specific part of the population. And especially people who are dealing potentially with really extreme GI dysfunction and who have, um, are not able to tolerate plant products in their healing journey early on. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, so maybe for a very specific subtype of patients, but it's certainly not a diet that I feel like I have expertise in. Um, and What I'm thinking about a lot with patients is, you know, optimizing metabolic health, optimizing cell biology and function. And so a lot of what I'm thinking about is how do I get people maximal amount of micronutrients, macronutrients that are, you know, valuable for health, fiber and antioxidants. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the key things that I'm trying to get people every day. So you know, all their micronutrients like the zinc, magnesium, um, B vitamins, vitamin C, manganese, etc. that are required enzymatic cofactors. And then I'm thinking about fiber because I really want people's microbiomes to be on point because of all the amazing things that our microbiome will make for us um, in terms of uh, helping with our immune system and our metabolic health. Um, and then thinking about more of the macronutrients, um, healthy sources of fats, proteins and carbohydrates and other things like omega3 levels, and then of course antioxidants to buffer them from all this amazing you know yeah. damage yeah. that we were exposing ourselves to through daily living. And so those are the things that I'm really optimizing for. And I find that I can get those things most reliably from a very, very plant-forward diet. Um, You're going to get your fiber. You're going to get your micronutrients. You're going to get your antioxidants. And you can get your omega-3s, if you're thoughtful about it, on a plant-forward diet. And you can't necessarily, um, or I think it's easy to miss out on some of those things if you're focusing on hardcore conventional keto or Carnivore. Mm -hmm. With that said, I actually really favor um, a plant based diet that actually allows you to get into ketogenesis. So I'm always in a keto, I'm always a little bit in ketosis. So usually I try to be between 0.5 and 1.5. And this is on a fully 100% high carb plant based diet. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I'm able to do that is because I have used a continuous glucose monitor in myself and in my patients now for well over a year. And so I'm tracking how every single carbohydrate I'm eating is affecting my glucose levels. And what I've found is that if you are tracking all of these things and seeing what works for your body, you can actually create a plant-based diet that really doesn't even touch your glucose levels. Um, the, The research has shown over the past few years that Just because you're eating a carbohydrate doesn't mean it's going to cause a glucose rise in your body. And every person, you know, all three of us could eat the exact same meal filled with carbohydrates and have totally different glucose responses. There's tons of personalization to that Mm -hmm. based on our microbiomes and our body types and our genetics and how much sleep and exercise we did the day before. And so you really have to know for yourself. So it is totally possible to get the benefits of keto. Um, while also getting all these amazing things that plants can bring you. But I think on the flip side, for most people doing keto, it's actually pretty easy to not get enough, you know, plant food and um, fiber Mm -hmm. and things like that. And Mm -hmm. so it's really just this very nuanced, personalized approach to maximize those various factors that I mentioned that are so important for, for health.
1: Another harp in the middle of an interview, Michael?
0: Look, we said we were going to do a part two. Right. Right? warned people. I just want to make sure we get the harp in there so they understand this is the transition to oh. the end of part one and what will be the beginning of part two on Tuesday. Well,
1: I will say part two is fascinating. Yes. Part two is as good really as part smart. one. I mean... We should oh. sell this thing, right? So oh, it's like a
0: we cliffhanging. <laughs> you thought part 1 was good.
1: Your brain's about to explode now, just wait.
0: Yeah, you're you're going to get your serious blood brain on. That's right. For sure. But what can they expect from next time, part 2?
1: Well, we're going to really dive into her company called Levels yeah. with the continuous glucose monitoring. And if you kind of follow Instagram, there's some really big names wearing these devices.
0: Yeah. Drew and I, Manning for one. And I think it's so cool like we talk about it, it's yeah. like a biofeedback for your blood sugar, right? It's
1: amazing. So cool.
0: Next time on The Lab Report, part two of our interview with Dr. Casey Means. Oh, we're going to
1: unlock some levels. It's going to be sweet. Oh, I got it that time. Nice. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at net. Serious topic. Okay. Peanut butter. Yeah. Chunky or creamy?
0: Uh. You have to go with the creamy 100% of the time. Oh, come on. 100% of the time. That's quite yeah. definitive. I'm yeah.
1: actually a fan of chunky peanut butter.
0: Well, that's absurd because what? the whole reason why you grind up the peanuts is to cre- create peanut butter, not to leave remnants of peanuts in there. <laughs> so you're just like... I like peanuts. It's like ha- you're half grinding it. <laughs> why would you do that?
1: So you could still get the peanut experience yet still spread it.
0: No, I'm not a fan of mixed consistencies. I don't like pulp in your orange juice or anything mm, like I'll that.
1: I'll agree with that one. Yeah. But I think you're wrong on nope, the joke. Same rule
0: same rule applies. Why are you such a purist? I'm just saying.